Game on! Game on! It's gaming time! Excellent! Game on! Game on! It's gaming time! Excellent! Hello, my name is Pete, uh, and for the next hour or so, we're going to bang on about bloody gaming, but not in the way that we usually do. You see, Dan and I, the other night, when we usually record this podcast at twitch.tv slash gameonoz, um, we were instead at a movie preview for our day jobs. I know, sacrifices, right? Huh. Uh, having to do that. So um, this is going to be a little bit different. Instead, what you're going to hear, and this is for the esports enthusiasts in you and amongst our audience, something a bit different is a catch up between myself and uh, the head of Big Esports and the Big Esports.gg podcast, Chris Smith. He's a legend in the industry. He's been in it for a long time. Chris had me on their podcast not that long ago uh, to talk about sort of the state of the industry from working with vendors and sponsors and that point of view and where esports is sort of going in Australia, where it's going to go over the next few years. Um, and my thoughts on it, I was pumped to join him because it's such a great podcast. And we thought this week, because of what Dan and I had to do, we'd do something a bit different and bring you that chat. So without further ado, my catch up with Chris Smith from the Big Esports Podcast. Have a great week, gamers, and we will catch you next week. Twitch.tv slash Game on Oz. And of course, right here where you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 40 with Pete Corelli from Game on Australia. He's also a drive-time radio presenter and runs a gaming podcast and a whole bunch of other mediums. We talk a lot today about his history in gaming and his thoughts on the current market and different ways of getting revenue streams and reporting and relying on your numbers. There's quite a lengthy discussion uh, towards the, the middle to end of this podcast about securing clients and servicing them properly, about how to rely on your numbers to be able to educate those outside of the market to get them into esports, and some of the ways that they've, that these things have worked for myself and also for Pete. So hopefully you guys enjoy the podcast, but first off, we've got a quick note from our sponsor. Hey, this is Chris from Big Esports. I'd like to thank you all for listening to us and being involved in the big community. If you're enjoying the podcast content, then please give us a rate, review, or subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to right now. If you want to see more of us, you can head to our website, bigesports.gg, or you can get in contact with us across social media on all platforms at bigesports underscore gg. Once again, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for sending in your suggestions and your questions, and enjoy the episode. Pete, mate, welcome. How are you? I'm really good, Chris O. Uh, thank you very much for having me. What an honour. I've been a long-time listener of the podcast, so it's a, a genuine honour to be asked to become on. How are you going? Yeah, I'm fantastic, mate. It's a bit cold over here in Melbourne, but you know, I'd assume it's a bit warmer over there in the semi-desert that is Perth. Oh, well, it depends what you classify as warm. Um, it was a, a low of three degrees this morning. So I know in <sighs> a lot of places over on the East Coast, that's actually not really classed as cold. But over here, that's frigid. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's pretty bad. And I guess for those people who don't know, um, you know, Pete's, Pete's over in WA, Western Australia in Perth, and, and I'm over here in Victoria and Melbourne over east. And we're basically the same amount of distance away that another country is. <laughs> that's pretty much the case and you know what uh, with all due respect to you guys over in the east sometimes it feels like we're in another country <laughs> it's true well i mean you know when i come over to perth for work it's it's a shorter flight and it's cheaper to fly to new zealand than it is within my own country yeah it's kind of like us over here it's it's more it's a lot more it's a lot easier actually to head north to somewhere like singapore or bali or something like that if we want to go for a holiday rather than come over to the east coast but um yeah mate i've I got to admit one thing though getting over to the east and actually because i've had a, an opportunity to do so um over the last couple of sort of major events like iem and pax last year and stuff and mm. getting over to the eastern states and catching up with everybody is um is a, a genuine highlight of working in this industry because there's a lot of great people that work on the east coast and there's a really great community and scene over there yeah for sure and i want to i definitely want to get into some of that soon in the the barriers you know real and perceived but for you you know obviously you've got a bit of a bit of a voice for radio and, and maybe a face for radio too can you let us know a bit about your history and you know how you got to where you are today 
Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, if we're going to go down the radio line, I can tell you it's a, it's a long and very sordid history, but I've been a commercial FM broadcaster for uh, Southern Cross Stereo for about 15 years on and off. So for those of you listening that, that don't know SCA, um, you would know the Triple M network or you'd know the HIT network. So sort of two-day, uh, Fox FM if you're in Melbourne, B105 if you're in Brisbane, SAFM in um, Adelaide, but they're all the hit network now and, and 92.9 over here in Perth. And that's sort of where I got my start. I did a bit of commercial radio um, years and years and years ago. In fact, I the, the first sort of thing that happened was um, I heard an ad for it while I was filleting fish in mum and dad's family fish business and decided to throw my hat in the ring. I was 17 at the time and managed to get a gig doing community stuff and then won a competition, uh, the prize of which was employment at a commercial radio station. So I, I did that for a couple of years and then went back to uni and then came back and the rest of kind of is kind of history. And for the past four or five years, I've been here doing um, what's known as the rush hour, which a lot of other uh, radio stations in other markets have as well as their afternoon. They're sort of early drive programs, but I've been doing that here for Triple M in Perth on a radio station called Mix 94.5. So it's, it's been fun. And how does, um, I guess, your gaming passion leak through? Is it hard? Because obviously you're doing a lot of work with that in Game on Australia. Is it? Does it become an, an issue when you try to, you know, self-promote or try to stop yourself from self-promoting too much? Um, look, I think <clears throat> there's a there's a rule for probably the, the ones in the industry that do go through the hard yards and make it, and that is leaving your ego at the door. You know, you have to become very good at leaving your ego at the door. You've got to become very good at making sure that, you know, when it comes to, to opening the mics and um, going about your business, that it doesn't inflict or conflict with anything else that you're doing. You know, like at the end of the day, the, the job is radio and the job is being that person who sits in a studio and, and becomes the voice for everybody else who wants to either come on the radio as, as part of an interview or as a caller or something like that. So I don't admittedly let the video gaming stuff um, come in too much because I've got to think of my audience. My audience is a, a 35-year-old um, to to 50-year-old female on the radio station here, Mix 94.5 in Perth. And you know, the majority of them, the only way that they would know really video games is if they played Frogger or Centipede or something mm. back when they were kids or uh, or their kids jumping on Fortnite or seeing Channel 9 do some, you know, terrible story on violence in video games and yeah. how it's wrecking your kids and, and that sort of stuff. So you have, to, you have to separate them and I have to make sure that I'm concentrating on the things that are relevant to my audience and sometimes that is video games in particular um but more often than not it's got nothing to do with video games and, and you have to run that line yeah i find that interesting is there some undeserved pressure that's put onto you by the gaming market because i i find that a bit with some of my friends you know who work in in um the you know the publications department or pr or, or as presenters themselves in traditional media and they get hounded all the time online by people from the gaming industry saying mate push a public piece push a positive piece you know it's up to you to educate people do you do you find you get that pressure um i find that i don't, I don't really get that pressure much at all I, I i think one thing that i do um tend to see from time to time which is a little bit unfair is that when people do go when people do see a terrible story from mainstream media, and generally it's from, you know, like an A Current Affair or a Today Tonight or something like then they tend to mm. collectively put everybody who's in mainstream media into that one pile and attack mainstream media for that particular reason, you know. Just because one person or one television show has gone a bad line on video games, it doesn't mean that that exists in the rest of, um, mainstream media. And yeah. in, in actual fact, one thing that I'm trying to do is when I do get the opportunity to do so and make it relevant to my audience uh, on Mix, one thing I am trying to do is pull out the really good gaming stories for people and trying to make it relevant to them and show them there is a really good side to the video games and esports industry. It's not just a kid locking himself away in his room for hours at a time hammering away at League of Legends, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, 100%. It's, it, it, I mean, it's like with everything, right? You don't want to typecast an audience, uh, but also you want to educate and, you know, you don't want to spew hate if, if you want the traditional 
audience to come across to you. You should probably fight their facts with facts or perceived facts with your real facts and your own experience rather than just, you know, abusing people on Facebook comments. It doesn't usually get you too far. Yeah, no, it doesn't get you too far. And I think you touch on something very important there. And that's one thing we're trying very hard to do, um, having been one of the ones that is sort of, you know, one foot in, in commercial FM or mainstream media and one foot in video games and esports. And that is educate. You know, I think I think there's a sometimes there can be a little bit of an arrogance in our industry, a little bit of it's it's an mm. us and them. But at the end of the day is for us in video games and esports, we have to do the hard yards to educate mainstream media as to the positive stuff within our industry. You know, rather than see the occasional mainstream media uh, news story that comes out and gives us a whack, turn around and go, all right, well, that's fair enough. You know, you, you're going to have that opinion. That's fine. Let that go. How about I bring you into my realm and I show you why I love this industry so much, why I love the positives. Let's educate mainstream media so over years we can slowly turn them to our hand. Yeah, no, very true. Yeah, spinning some good facts. So let's chat a little bit about your intersection then between the traditional audience and the gaming market. You know, what what brought you into games and what are you currently doing today? Well, I, um, oh, geez, it, the year was the year was 1990 <laughs> and, um, and, uh, you know, I remember, I still remember dad coming around the corner uh, in the backyard holding this box, the sun glinting off it as it as the word Nintendo appeared. And that was, you know, my first ever foray into video games, the Nintendo Entertainment System. And um, I think I was, I was four or five years old at the time and the old man, bless him, couldn't, he couldn't get me off it. You know? And, and a, a passion for video games sort of developed from there and I've loved them ever since. But um, about three or four years ago now, our um, parent company, Southern Cross Austereo, which you might know owns um, a, a news and media house now called Press Start, mm. um, who are doing a lot of really good things. Well, they were dabbling in a lot of other things because with mainstream media these days, um, one of the biggest barriers that we're finding to moving forward is that people are starting to move away from traditional forms of media, whether that be um, consumption of it or whether that be advertising in it and so on and so forth. So one of the biggest challenges for traditional media these days is finding out what's that next big thing? What's the next realm that we have to be a part of to make sure that, you know, we're doing right by our clientele and our shareholders and all that sort of stuff. So one thing or a couple of things that they are looking at in particular was the podcasting space and uh, video games and esports. And they got video games and esports locked away with Press Start, and they're pumping a lot of resources into that. And uh, Press Start's doing a lot of great things. And um, the other thing that they did was they acquired a um, podcasting platform called Podcast One. So about, I don't know, would have been about six months into all of that, they turned around and said um, they came to myself and a mate of mine at work, knowing that we're into sort of video games and esports, and said, well, you can broadcast. Um, you know how to present a radio show, would you know how a podcast comes together? And funnily enough, we just, you know, like you do with anything in this industry, you just take it and run with it. We said, yeah, we'll put an hour of audio together and just see what we can sort of come up with. And um, we sent that off and then we did another one the following week and sent that off. And as quite often happens in this industry, Mm. um, your agenda rarely fits with the agenda of the people that you're sort of sending demos off to, you know. so. Um, we never heard anything back, which was fine, but we enjoyed doing it. So we kept doing it. And now here we are at 130, I think this week will be episode 132. And um, yeah, mate, the the number one audio on demand podcast in the country for video games and esports. And that's, that's by virtue of a lot of things. And probably the most important thing is, is networking, um, you know, and, and having some doors open and uh, and filling some holes in the market, which have allowed us to grow pretty quickly. I want to bring up an interesting point because you're sitting in between, you know, traditional radio and media and, and esports. You know, the way traditional media works is so different in terms of business structures, monetization and such. Do you, is that an uphill battle for you? Is that something that you have to try to explain to people all the time when they're trying to, you know, ask you to push certain products on your podcast or monetize in certain ways? Clarify the question. So I, I guess a, a problem that I have a lot when I'm talking to traditional people 
you know, when they're working within the media space is, A, they're making a lot of money in the grey. There's a lot of things that they're they're pushing CPMs around, you know, how many people may be listening to analogue. They're going off Nielsen reports. They're going off, um, you know, perceived audiences, how many times logos are viewed. Whereas in esports, it's much more reportable and it's much more a direct advertising model. Is that something that, that you've come across in the past when you're working between those two different industries, trying to explain that the business model within gaming and esports is fundamentally different to traditional media? Um, you know, I, I don't actually think it's as different as what people make it out to be, to be honest. The, at the end of the day, the, the, you know, something in traditional media, what, what sells in traditional media is, is audience, you know, being able to go to your client base, you know, creatively with great ideas, um, and say to them, all right, well, if you come and you advertise with us, these are the rates that you're advertising, but you're getting 15% of the market, you know, mix 94.5, for example, has been, um, on on what we call a, a 10 plus share, so that's um, all ages over the age of 10 listening to the radio, um, has been the number one rating radio station in the Perth market for the past sort of 15 years. And from what I've found um, when it comes to, you know, saying that to, and admittedly, I'm on the content side of things, so I don't really have anything to do with the advertising side of things, but I do speak to the sales guys a lot. And one thing that I you know do tend to, to find with them is it's all about audience. I mean, they bank on their numbers and mm. now running a, running a podcast and getting it out there and networking with people in the games industry and trying to sell advertising on this podcast, the conversations that um, I've found that sales guys in traditional media have with their client base are pretty much the conversations that I'm having with um, the guys in the digital space when it comes to video games and esports. It's, you know, we have, x number of people that we reach per week we have x number of people that are listening to the podcast downloads and streams per week um these are our rates because of it this is what we can do for you i yeah i haven't i haven't found all that much of a difference one thing that i would say though is that and i think this has got a lot more to do with the fact that you know radio has been around for 30 40 years in the sense that we know it now so there's been 30 or 40 years of heritage building, you know, and, and brand building in the market. And, and realistically, for Australian brands, when it comes to the digital space, we haven't had anywhere near that sort of thing. So mm. it's generally a lot harder to get people across the line in our digital space in video games and esports for those particular sort of prices or what we would consider fair prices than it is in traditional media, purely by virtue of, of time. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, trying to trying to breach a new market and helping people to understand, you know, not just the demographics, but how the sales cycle is actually supposed to work. And, you know, it's it's been something that I'm sure you're experiencing and it might be slightly alleviated due to your contacts, but, you know, everyone's experiencing globally where non-endemic sponsors, which the market defines as brands that have not invested in esports and, you know, are looking into the space, have been a lot slower to mature than anyone's expected. You know, everyone from Fnatic has told me that, you know, one of the largest gaming teams in the world to the local esports teams as well. Is that a problem you think that that you might be able to solve because you're pretty entrenched in that traditional market or is there something you're experiencing as well? I think, I don't know if if it's a problem that, like, we can necessarily solve because, again, I really think that comes down to time. And just chipping away. Mm. I mean, you know, we mentioned that word a little while ago, education. Um, Non-endemics in the space will eventually come around. We're starting to see examples of that happen, but it's going to take people grinding away and and educating non-endemics in the space, and that's going to take time. You know, you can't expect to rewrite the history books in a matter of weeks, you might be a person who's got, you know, a, a, a million followers on Facebook or a million, you know, followers on Twitter or, or Twitch or whatever the, the case may be. But at the end of the day, if the non-endemic that you're approaching doesn't understand anything about the space, they're not going to go with you. This is something really important to us in the radio industry, you know, that term relevance. Like you've got to become very, very good at... Um, you know, making a non-endemic, understand the value in going with you. And that's something that we've actually had to retrain ourselves on time and again when it comes to trying to get people across the line in terms of sales for the podcast. I mean, podcasting is still very much in the Australian market, a, a very young medium. But, mm. you know, one of its one of its genuine strengths is that with a podcast, if you have 15,000 listeners, then 
that is 15,000 people who are more likely to listen to your message because it's on-demand audio. It's something that they have themselves come out and actually gone to find. It's something they've gone to find because it's a benefit to them, because they want to know that information. And, and by virtue of that, they're going to be a lot more open-minded in terms of you selling them something or putting an advert in or a live read or something in that particular podcast because they've come and found you. Mm. You know, with traditional media, um, everybody complains about the ads and, um, you know, whether, whether it becomes it comes to radio ads or whether it comes to television ads, everybody complains about the ads. That's because... You're not there for the ads. You tend to not have gone looking for it. You're after music or you're after an entertaining TV show or something like that. The ads pop up and you think to yourself, oh, cry. okay, here's another five minutes I have to wait until I get what I really want. Mm. Whereas with podcasting and with on-demand stuff, people have come to find you. So they're more likely open-minded to, to hear the messaging. You know? so, and, but again, you know, you've got to understand from a non-endemics point of view, They've been dealing with non-traditional media for the lifetime of their products. And in some cases, you know, a brand like McDonald's, that's 50, 60, 70 years of traditional media integration. So it's going to take a long time and a lot of education, and we just have to grit our teeth and push ourselves through it. Yeah, it's a really interesting point you bring up, and it's something that I've been going through a lot recently with selling um, Twitch TV sponsorships and, you know, partnering with people about that. Because if you look at the raw numbers of a, you know, medium to large style um, Twitch streamer in Australia, they're getting 100,000 unique viewers per month. And that's it's a lot harder to be able to sell that engagement piece, like you were saying, and to explain that to the brands as to when we're trying to sell YouTube ad pre-rolls or mid-rolls with someone like Tech City who gets, you know, anywhere from 1.2 to 3 million total views per month from people around the world. However, you know, he's pushing out YouTube videos on popular products that are being reviewed, so people are going to go there no matter what. Whereas if you've got a streamer like Nacy who's getting 100,000 unique viewers a month, people are specifically going there because they enjoy her content and they're interacting for multiple hours over that period of time. So my question for you then, Pete, is is what's your, what's your main metric that you play on then? Is it hours listened? Is it hours listened per user? Is it return rate or is it something else? We focus on reach. Um, that, that's our that's our most simplest form that we focus on. We focus on brand reach. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're we're a, you know at a, at a very basic level, we're a creative agency. We're an agency now that's you know put together um, a, a network of um, Facebook pages and and um, Twitch followers and and all that sort of stuff. Um, having built that over the past sort of three years and. Um, you know, we've got a, we've got a stream team now. Um, we've got the, the audio on demand element, which is the podcast. We've got the front page, um, Wednesday night show weekly on Twitch. Um, you know, we've got our, we provide the, um, the 30, the 30 second video games and esports news bullets for the triple M networks news in every market on a Friday afternoon at two o'clock. You'll hear that. Like, um, we're on Qantas International Domestic. We're on Jetstar Domestic. Like our our purest metric is our reach figure, mm. and that's that's the figure that we tend to to use, right? To be able to say to someone, you know, it's all well and good to be able to, um, you know, have listens and and all that sort of stuff. But if if we do the long term process and we work together, we're after we're after brands that want a long term relationship. Right? We don't want fly-by-night brands that are going to come in for a couple of weeks and then disappear. Like we want a brand that's going to work in with our brand for a long period of time. We've we've just we're just about to cap off an AOC Aegon sponsorship for the podcast. That was a, a 13 week um, uh, brand sponsorship, but it went through every different level of network reach that we have. You know, so it's it's audio on demand stuff. It's um, it's online web stuff. It's it was on the the Twitch pages on our Twitter, our Instagram. It had something to do with um, our stream team, and the idea is to like into fully integrate that brand into our brand. So we sort of what's the word for it? We prop each other up. Yeah, you know, we gain credibility yeah. because AOC Aegon is a very credible brand, but also to have them across for thirteen weeks, they get as much use out of our reach as possible and they're and they're reaching as many people as possible through our brand you know 
Yeah, it's really interesting you said the word agency, and I'm finding that more and more. I guess like when I created my startup, my first thing, one of the first things I said was I don't want to be a, an agency necessarily, and I think esports teams have been ignoring that for a while and, and with talent management companies, but I think I'm seeing a trend where everything's an agency right now. If you look at Shade that we're doing, you know, it's a, it's kind of a multi-channel network and it's a player management, but ultimately it's a, it's a media agency. You know, when you're looking at yours, in, in its depths, it really is a podcast. That's what it's surrounded by. But once again, like you identified, it's an agency. And when you're looking at big, you know, we're often working with clients once off, whether it's strategy or marketing or we're doing long-term PR tenders, which is once again an agency form, or if you're an esports team. You know, you're managing content creators, you're creating your own content, and you're managing brand sponsors over a long period of time, creating content and special experiences with them too, which is, once again, how an agency works. So I guess that's the future of esports, hey, Pete? Well, you know what? It may be, it may not be, and I think we're, we're yet to see it. But at the, at, at the heart of it, you've got to know what your core product is. Where our core product is entertainment, mm. creative entertainment. We we absolutely know that the jewel in our crown is the podcast, and it's the, the weekly TV show on Twitch. That's where we're going to be able to give the most benefit to our clients because that's where we've built um, the the vast majority of our following. That's where, you know, our, our most passionate supporters, our most loyal fans, that's where they come and they consume our entertainment. So that's where we know we're going to be able to maximize results for whoever comes to us and say, hey, we want to work with you for our brand. But the fact of the matter is you have to be in esports and video games, you have to be a creative agency. If you're going to work in the creative space, you have to do more than what the person next door is doing, mm. you know? And and to do that, you have to offer a little bit of everything, which is why we've never just been, even though it's the jewel in our crown, we've never just been a podcast. We've never just been a weekly Twitch show. We've been a, a little bit of everything. So we know that whoever comes knocking on our door, we can maximize and provide them the most amount of, you know, creative reach as we possibly can. Because at the end of the day, mate, regardless of of who you are and what you've built in this industry, we're in a phase now in the Australian market where there are um, there are executions popping up left, right and centre. Every second person that you speak to, as you just mentioned, is putting together something. They're doing something in the space. Mm. So you've got to create some sort of barrier to entry to be able to protect yourself and protect what you've built. Yeah, you need some sort of IP, right? And that comes back to, you know, who are you as a business and a startup and, and what makes you different to others and what stops someone from being able to replicate instantly what you're doing and take it over, right? Absolutely. And our, for us, you know, that biggest battle is can can somebody come into the Australian market and replicate, you know, what we're doing um, without, with what I mentioned is our jewel in the crown, which is the podcast. And I'm very confident at this point in time that the the quick answer to that is no, mm. you know, because we've we've got a very unique position in the market where we know how to talk to video games and esports lovers because we are ourselves video games and esports fans, but we're also 15 years of commercial FM content and number one rating radio shows on traditional media. So we can sit on both sides of the fence in a very unique way and present a very slick, very casual conversation to a video games and esports audience where um, a lot of other people struggle to be able to make that execution happen. Yeah, yeah. I think you've identified fairly well. It sounds like you've got your investor pitch down, Pat. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's that, but... Yeah, maybe if investors come along one day, I'll be sure to. I'll be more than happy to actually say that to them. Yeah, but definitely, I guess you know to to reiterate on that and and to touch on it once again for those listening. You know, if you're thinking about creating a startup, what Pete and I are talking about is is so serious and something you need to take into consideration. Is you know what's your special advantage over your competitors and what's your defensibility? What IP or skills or experience do you bring that the other people can't bring? Because some things that we've seen in recent history, let's say esports teams, you know, once upon a time in Australia, team immunity was kind of it and in America evil geniuses were kind of it. However, when new games came around like League of Legends, you saw the rise of global organizations like Cloud9, who's currently the highest valued organization in the world. You know, you saw ones like 100 Thieves come out of nowhere, led by Nadeshot with multiple millions of followers on his own account, you know, let alone others. And now he's partnered with Drake and Scooter Braun. So, you know, that would say to me that 
in the past, you know, these teams maybe thought the defensibility was the fact that they had major sponsors like Intel and SteelSeries and they were the top of the pops at that time. However, you know, the the Giants can fall and other people can come up over that period of time. So how are you innovating and making sure that you're staying ahead of the curve? And I think um, just to touch on that as well, one step further, I think one of the things that um, people sort of let fall by the wayside if you're starting up an esports team is, and as shallow as this may sound, I feel it's the reality of it. You have to, you've got to be successful. You know, you've got to, you've got to win some games. You've got to bank those wins. I mean, we're also talking about teams here now where the giants fall by the wayside, not, not just because they aren't defensible, but also because they don't do what they're there to do. And that is win major tournaments. Mm. You know, like, I mean, You've, you're, if you're an esports team, you've got to take it a step further, and you have to be a successful esports team. You've got to, you've got to build fans. And I think one of the the number one things that you have to focus on is what is your core product, and that is winning matches. If you're an esports team, and then everything else comes around that. You know, mm. we over here in the West in WA, um, and I'm going to bring this back to a traditional sports model, but it's it's a very interesting dynamic in terms of AFL over here in the West, right? And I don't know if this is experienced on the East Coast, but it's certainly the way that it is here. And we've got two teams in this town, the West Coast Eagles, and we've got the Fremantle Dockers. And I am the grounds announcer for the Fremantle Football Club. So every single home game, I'm there at the ground, looking around at the stands to see the amount of people that are in the stands. Your most proud, passionate supporters will always be there. Rain, hail, shine, win, loss, whatever, they will always be there. But they only make up a really small percentage of your follower base. The ones that you really need to go after are the ones that come when the team is up and winning. You know, and for the the Fremantle Football Club, for example, um, at the beginning of the year coming off a bad season last season, you know, round one, round three, um, there must have been maybe 25, 30,000 people at the ground and not a lot of chatter happening here in market. They started to string a few wins together. All of a sudden, you're getting 35, 40,000 people at the ground for a home game, and we're starting to hear a lot more chatter in the market. And it's very much the same for the West Coast Eagles. And once you're starting to bring in the, that secondary tier of follower, then you can hit them with everything else and actually convert them, you know, hit them with your creative content, hit them with your your digital stuff and your exciting stuff outside of the realm of we just won this match. But you've got to get them in first, and I think success brings that. Yeah, and it comes back to exactly what you are saying before, right? What is your core product? What's your core offering? And I've explained this in mentoring courses I've done in the past so much, whereas I had some good friends that own a modified car workshop, you know, they they – put wraps and modify Lamborghinis and Ferraris and, you know, Nissan GDR 35s, et cetera, et cetera. However, their bills are paid by servicing Toyotas and that's their core product. Yeah. You know, it's not the fun and it's not the glamorous part, but that enables them to have staff and cash flow to be able to do the fun stuff that they want to do in the future. And it's exactly the same like you're talking about with an esports team. You know, if I was to think about optic gaming, I would think content. You know, they're a good enough team, yes, and I wouldn't necessarily care if they won every tournament and, you know, they've won quite a few. However, they're able to give that prowess by at least placing highly and being very competitive in tournaments, but really relying on pushing their messaging through content. So maybe they could save a little bit of money on player salaries and, you know, push towards some more content and monetization avenues. And I think, you know, for anyone that wants to listen a bit more about diversifying revenue and and uh, growing an esports organization, head back to our big esports podcast number 36 with Ryan from Team Liquid and Liquid Media because they've got a fantastic model set up there where, you know, Liquid touches everything that comes through them at, at three different points or more quite often through, you know, Liquid Media, through Team Liquid and also their creative agencies and such. And, you know, it enables so many more revenue options to come through. And, and that's really key at the moment, right, Peter? And as this part of why you have so many different service offerings under your banner? Are you trying to create that sustainability? We want to make sure that if somebody comes to us, we can service whatever it is that they're, they're after. You know, because the the world turns really, really fast. And um, mm. at the end of the day, there's a lot of competition out there. And if you can't service their need, they will go elsewhere. And if they go elsewhere and they get a really good experience out of it, well, then you've lost them. You know, there's a if if other people are doing this right, it means that they're putting together 
creative opportunities for clients that come their way that are long-term options. You know, they want to keep those clients as long as they possibly can. And so if, if we don't have something that we can offer them, then they will go elsewhere and the wheel will turn. And, and chances are they'll find somebody else who will do just as good a job. And it means that, um, that they'll disappear purely by virtue of the fact that they came to us first and we couldn't service it. And that, you've, got, you've got to be extremely malleable, you know. And this is sort of something we've learned from traditional FM and, and commercial radio and the way commercial radio operates. So I don't think there's ever been a client come to our radio station where we haven't in some way or another um, been able to service what it is that they want to do or service their need. And, and very often they're just a basic need. You know, they've got a major sale coming up or um, they just want to do some some brand messaging out there just to get some brand equity in the market or something like that. But we've always got uh, multiple platforms ready to go for them. And that's what we're trying to achieve with, or I would say we have achieved with Game on Australia is that we have a team now and multiple platforms and networks where if you're a brand out there looking for creative executions in the market, you know, we can offer just about everything under the sun for you to be able to do that. So you won't have to go elsewhere. Mm. And the other thing that we're backing that up with, of course, and this is why I came back to when you said to me, what's my most important metric? And I said, reach is that um, part of our barrier to entry or part of our defense is that we reach more Australian gamers with our brand than any other um, audio on demand prospect in the country. And I think it's a really strong proposition. You know, when when we're talking about doing everything for a brand, uh, for example, you know, esports teams will often um, say, "Hey, we'll manage your social media if you sponsor us." And you know, diversifying the amount of different things you're trying to do for a brand. When does it become too much? You know, if you're looking at traditional startups, quite often I'll see startup pitches where a new company will come in and and tell them that they're going to be selling to B to C and they're going to be selling to B to B at the same time and to the education sector and healthcare, you know, and retired premier footballer markets. And usually the comments from the VCs and investors in the room is you need to niche down, you need to focus more on your core product and what you're good at. Are we, you know, at that stage at the moment in esports where we're trying to do too many things at once or is it an absolute necessity now because when the revenue comes to you, you know, everyone's fighting for that cash flow right now and you just want to get any money in the door no matter how you can? It's, it's a balance, isn't it? Um, look, I think, I think if you're a startup, then for quite some time you're going to be dipping your toe in a lot of different, um, in a lot of different pools to see what sticks mm. and I think you have to do that. but there is going to come a time where something is going to stick. And when it does stick, that's what you have to go after as your core product and then break everything else down around it and build up from, from what you've found has stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, think, I think one thing that tends to, to make startups topple in this particular industry is that they do the right thing. They go out there and they try to manage as much as they possibly can or as much as humanly possible with the team that they do. And then when they do find something sticks, they they still try to manage as much as they humanly possibly can do. I mean, mm. we're all trying to find that one thing that defines our, our brand and our product and, and what our core product is. And a lot of people go out there and they find it, but they tr- still try to do too much. And I think if you're, I don't, the other thing I think is a lot of people don't um, trust their gut as much as they should. I mean, I've sat in many rooms over the course of the past few years with a lot of different people where the conversation has been, God, I just feel like we're doing too much. And then somebody else will pipe up and say, yeah, but if we lose this, then we'll lose that. And, you know, we might lose these followers here and, and all that sort of stuff. It It's absolutely fine to lose a few followers and a little bit of audience along the way, mm. if the greater goal down the track means you're pumping your efforts into something that's going to work, you know, trust your gut, go with your gut. If it feels like you're doing too much, then you are absolutely doing too much. You know, it, it's, it's good to know a little bit about everything, but you have to find what sticks for you. Mm. Yeah. I th- yeah. I think you're a hundred percent right. There's a major issue that I found in the past as a sponsor myself with, you know, after sales service. And I think once again, that comes down to the the comment that everyone's just trying to push revenue through the door and and touching on, like you said as well, where, you know, people are just trying to sell contracts and and keep themselves as busy as possible. What I find a lot happens in the esports market is that, 
you know, everyone's trying to pitch out to as many sponsors as possible, but when they lock them in, you know, they go, okay, well, that money's locked away. I need to start thinking about the next amount of money that I can bring through the door and not properly servicing the contracts they're working on already. Yeah, and you know what? Isn't that just a um, a common theme in this industry? How often do you hear whether you're when you're talking to sponsors um, or whether you're talking to your client base, how often do you hear um, them turn around and say to you in a meeting, I worked with such and such and, and got bitten in the ass? Mm. Um, you know, because, and that's, it. more often than not, it's because they are, the, the people that they're working with are just trying to do too much. And it's it's understandable because you do want to please these clients and you do want to balance it with bringing money in. I mean, that's, that's the end goal, regardless of how idealistic we all can be. The end goal is to feed our family, mm. you know, and, and to make sure that we're bringing money into the organization so we can pay the people who are a part of our organization and continue to build our brand and build our brand's worth and, you know, hopefully get to a decent exit strategy one day down the track and whatnot. But, it, you know, the fact of the matter is if somebody if somebody spends $100 on you or they spend $100,000 on you, you need to absolutely ensure that you're making that product your focus. Otherwise, once they're done with you, your your reputation. I don't, I think I don't think people give enough clout to just how far people talk in this industry. Everybody thinks that they don't talk to each other. Everybody talks to everybody in this industry. It's the same thing as in radio. It's that radio secrets are the worst kept secrets in traditional media, right? And generally, the last person to know about it is the person it directly involves. And guess what? In video and esports, the person that it directly involves is you, the one that's running your particular core product. You're usually the last one to know that you've done something wrong by somebody. Mm-hmm. So what you need to do is you need to take a step back, you need to take on the money from this client, and you need to make sure that you deliver them 110%, not 100%, but 110% of what they've expected from you over deliver make sure you retain that relationship Mm, yeah and you know pulling out a core piece of what you said is is just not trying to deliver things that you can't possibly deliver and that's some things that we see in the past where yeah i guess that's how i got part of my break into the esports industry you know back in um 2010 you know i had someone come to me and say hey look i've been tasked with running this tournament it's a thirty thousand dollar tournament i've got no idea how to do it can you help me and it's like, well, how are you yeah. in the position to run that tournament in the first place? And it's, who, it's, who said that that could happen? But Mate, it's, it's mind-blowing. But I think, what, you know, you know this well enough, and the majority of people listening to this podcast, you know, would be mainstays in the video games and esports industry and would know this well enough. The vast majority of deals that get done are ones that um, happen through through networks and connections and a little bit of it's not what you know, it's who you know, because we are still in that phase of the industry where everybody's still getting to know each other, mm. you know, and the brands are still competing for, um, you know, being the one that gets to that nice lofty height of we are the trusted brand in the industry. So it, it is going to be a lot of, all right, well, I consider this guy my mate. I've gotten to know him very, very well. So, you know what, I think we should go with them. Mm. Um, instead of being a little bit more discerning and, and having a look under the hood, you know, and at the same time, if you're that person who's taking on that business, you've you've absolutely got to make sure that you deliver. Mm. Um, I think there's a there's a there's a key thing that there's a key metric that we work on in radio, and that is under promise over deliver, right? And that also, when you strip it right down, and this is a real important lesson to a lot of people starting up in this industry, when it comes back to knowing your core product, know exactly what your limitations are. I don't, I don't think people, I, I think a lot of people get caught up in the shining lights of, um, you know, I'm, I'm hanging out with the, the community manager from Bethesda today. You know, here's a selfie. Like it, it's, I think a lot of people get, a, get caught up in the shining lights and, and the, no, 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 we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We absolutely know we can do this just because they want to know that they got Bethesda or they got Aces or they got Lenovo so they can share that information out to everybody you know, so they can make sure that everybody knows that their brand is doing better than everybody else's at the moment. But it, it brings them unstuck because, you know, all of a sudden that ego gets in the way and they don't have a good idea of what their limitations are. Mm. And if you don't have a good idea of what your limitations are, it devalues the entire industry, especially coming back around to what we were talking about with non-endemics. Non-endemics are scared of what they don't know. 
But if you throw on top of that a real poor quality of execution, they're not going to touch it. Mm. So flipping this around the opposite way too, and something that we've implemented a lot here at Big Esports, you know, through guidance from Matt Jones, the CEO of, of Ovo Mobile and, you know, one of our first clients is case studies. You know, if you've done something with a with a client, large or small, and it has been successful, you've got some metrics about it, and you're a company that wants to push yourself as, as better than others in the market, you know, case studies are so paramount to that. And since we've implemented that and we've started sending out case studies with our go-to-market decks and pitches to these, you know, new brands that we're pitching to work with, it's been so much easier of a sales process. It's been so much better. Yeah. And then, you know, that um, I also find that post-campaign reports help a lot as well. Um, mm. You know, like the the one thing that we always do, like we we did our very first 12 games of Christmas um, at the end of last year, and that was a really big execution. We had, we had 12 different brands who put in on that, um, and we didn't, we didn't pull any money out of them. We just said, look, just give us a little bit of product. Um, we can ensure you guys, you know, really good numbers at the very base level of our podcast because we know exactly what those numbers are. Mm. At the very least, this is, you know, this is what we're going to deliver for this. And then we went above and beyond and we created some really, you know, awesome weekly or daily videos rather that we'd put up and we did teasers. And it was about um, it was about three or four months of preparation plus work. And then after all was said and done, we did our post-campaign report and when we did our PCR, we actually found that we had done exactly what we set out to do, and that was launch a brand new thing in the market for our brand mm-hmm. um, under promise, knowing what our limitations were, and we absolutely over-delivered. And then that gave us an opportunity to go to all of our existing clients who were a part of that product and go, guys, this is what we promised. This is what we delivered. Mm. You know, check this out. Um, you know, let's look at locking you guys away for, for next year. And we had a pretty... Um, decent strike rate for that. So um, the other thing that that comes back to that is it also gives your own team um, a bit of an opportunity to have a look back at the work that that you've sort of done and just know that you've done the right thing. And then much in the same vein as um, what you were talking about with case studies, um, you know, it, it provides a bit of a benchmark really, doesn't it? Mm. You know, for, for how you're going to go moving forward when that comes back ag- around again. Yeah, that and... and- you know, expanding on some of the points you've mentioned, I love to focus on the numbers and I find that provides a much more realistic outlook on the scene and also pushes that you know as a subject matter expert what's happening in the industry. So, you know, for example, you see a lot of posts on social media and LinkedIn of people talking about how big esports is and how they went to an event and it looked amazing and trying to post some cool videos and photos. However, if you can focus on the actual numbers, whether you think those numbers are fantastic or not, Getting them out in the market helps add so much more safety and security to these people. You know, if you can say, hey, I went to the Melbourne Esports Open and there was 15,000 tickets sold and it had this many Twitch viewers across this many streams and such. While, you know, in the past I've been caught up in the fact that, oh, well, if a brand sponsors events at the MCG, they might think that 15,000 isn't that great, so maybe I shouldn't talk about that number and fluff it up. But ultimately it provides them with a realistic outlook that when you're having a meeting with them and you come in, you know what grounds there are to start on. And that's what I find such a hard thing to sell in esports when, you know, I used to not have a very solid pitch before, you know, getting James Bryce Lend on board to help us with BDM where I would go to a brand and say, all right, guys, well, esports is big and I can do anything. And frankly, that's a terrible place to start from. Mm. You need to go to them and provide them with some more information and say, hey, guys, I think that maybe we should start off with a certain amount of budget, you know, provide them with some base level expectations, a section of the market to go into, and then you can talk from there. Well, it's just it's just honesty, isn't it? Mm. You know, at the, at, at the very heart of it, Chris, oh, it's, it's honesty. You know, and if, you're, if you are, particularly in this industry at the moment where so many people would with all due respect sell their grandmothers to make a dollar because that's the that's where this industry is at in its life cycle here in Australia everybody's trying to get on top of everybody else and that's the reality of it you know we can all sort of try and look at the industry through rose colored glasses but the reality is everybody is trying to build their brand before everybody else does and because of that you know you're going to find there's a fair few out there who will do a few dodgy things or will fluff the numbers or, or stuff like that but You've got to be honest and you've got to be genuine because this is a long-term play, not just for your own brand, but for the industry as a whole. This is a long-term play, you know, and non-endemics 
um, again, coming back to the idea of non-endemics, because we know endemics are there. We know endemics play in the space. We know endemics um, are incredibly discerning, but also because they've had the experience from having played in the space for a long time. They can look at an event and see that somebody's fluffed the numbers. So, you know, you certainly don't want to be going into a meeting with endemics and, and trying to, to do that sort of stuff because they'll pick you out nine times out of ten, not a problem. And if they don't, well, again, like we spoke about before, they're not coming back to you. They're going elsewhere next time. But when it comes to endemics and, and this uh, non-endemics, and this is the biggest, the big play for us here, trying to get them involved in the space, we have to be honest from the get-go. Mm. And that's actually something for for all of the the bashing that traditional media gets from the esports and video game space. That is actually something that we can actually genuinely take a leaf out of their book. Um, having been in a lot of those meetings, you know, for for major promotions and stuff like that, um, the the top of the line thing when it comes to talking to potential clients and sponsors is honesty and that integrity. Because if you're not honest about your brand and you're not honest about expectations, then you're going to come unstuck. I don't care who you think you are or how think how far you excuse my language you think you can bullshit someone. You're always going to come unstuck. Mm. Yeah, that's the reality of it. And look, my I think my final comment on that too is that you don't the the industry is growing at such a rate that you don't need to lie about the numbers. It's already almost unbelievable. You know, we've already got people in Australia like Click Management with an absolutely obscene amount of monthly reach and views across gigantic channels. Three of the largest Fortnite content creators in the world live in one house in Sydney together. Yeah. So, you know, the market is growing at such a rate that you don't need to feel like you need to oversell. And that's an issue, once again, like I said, that I ran into a lot in the past. You know, I felt like saying that, you know, there was a meetup of 80 people at our Burger Love event. You know, that might sound bad, but if you actually look at the numbers, you know, they asked for 50, we got 80, and we couldn't even fit everybody in the door. So yeah. as long as you're honest about those kind of numbers, they go, well, you're, you know, 130 plus percent oversubscribed, you've packed out a venue, you know, you sold two and a half grand worth of milkshakes plus burgers and other items. It's ultimately a fantastic success. So, you know, just relying on the numbers and relying on the realism is, is perfectly fine. You don't need to lie. It's not a dying market. It's not something that's going out of fashion like traditional TV. So we just got to keep plotting away. May also celebrate it. Celebrate the win. If you... this. This is this is something every single afternoon between the hours of three and five, no matter what topic I'm talking about on my radio show, I've got to sell it in a way that my audience feels it's either relevant to them or it gets them excited about wanting to listen to it. Okay. And mm. if I'm if I'm not selling it with a genuine passion, a genuine organic passion, then how the hell can I expect my audience or my client base to feel that genuine passion and come along for the ride with me? The, the fact that 80 might look like a small number, but you got 80 people, you know, that's, that's bloody exciting. You packed out a restaurant like, but you know, there's a lot of, I think people out there think to themselves, well, to, to really make sure that people understand that this was a great event, I've got to make it seem like, there was 100,000 people queued up to get into this place. No, that's not the case. Celebrate the fact that you got 80 people in there and you'll show a lot of things. You'll show your passion for the industry. You'll show the fact that you can actually make something happen. You'll show the fact that um, you've got a bit of experience and you did manage to get X amount of people into this place to come and have a look. I mean, that is definitely worth celebrating. When you show that passion to your potential client base, they're going to come along for the ride and they want honesty. You know, you mentioned something about, you mentioned, not something about, you mentioned um, ClickHouse and the amount of subscribers that they have and all that sort of stuff. Those numbers are, are great numbers, but the real value in those numbers is their return rate in terms of their interactions and um, and their organic growth. I mean, when you go to any of the videos that, um, the click management team and the, and the click team actually put up and whatnot, you can actually go and you can see that the audience is there. You know, it's not just puffed up numbers. There aren't a million subscribers on that YouTube channel and they've bought 750,000 of them just so they can show that they've got a lot of... The, you can tell because their numbers, their genuine organic numbers and their audience, their eyes, all that sort of stuff, they reflect that. And I think one other thing that we have to to look at 
as well and acknowledge is as much as there is a lot of old money out there that doesn't understand this industry, we are actually working with a lot of our peers in this industry. You know, a lot of the ones that have grown up through the social media age, the same as us, who now know that it's not about the amount of um, Facebook followers you have, Mm. but it's about the amount of interaction that you get from those Facebook followers. There are pages out there where realistically we've actually gone and, and crunched the numbers as to whether or not it's worth going and buying a Facebook page that's been defunct and dormant for the past 12 months, but it's got 60,000 Australian followers on that Facebook page. And we've turned around and we've walked away because there is a lot more value in building your brand from the ground up. We, we've only got three and a half thousand on our Facebook page, but i tell you what, when we put a post up, Christ does it get some interaction. Mm. Because that is three and a half thousand people that we have built from the ground up genuinely, organically. And we are working in an age now where our client bases that are coming to work with us are those people. They know what they're looking for. They know it's not about the number of followers. It's about the number of engagement. So let's uh, change tact a little bit and chatting about Game on Australia. What does sustainability look like for you? What what revenue streams are you focusing on right now? And what's your uh, 12-month roadmap look like? So our revenue streams that we're, we're focusing on right now um, our, our advertising. So, um, you know, we're after good long-term clients where we can give them a lot of value. We can put together some really creative executions for them. Um, our roadmap is very much, we've, we've put our organization up on blocks because like a lot of organizations until, you know, you actually build a good team around you, you are flying by the seat of your pants trying to make as many things work as you possibly can. We're now at a stage now where, We've got a really good team. We've got, um, you know, as including the the Goa Legendary Legends, our stream team, we've got a team of 15 content creators now. Um, we've got a hierarchy. We've just become a an ASIC-registered proprietary limited, so we've got a proper corporate structure in place. Um, we are moving forward. So, that, you know, but part of that was actually getting everybody into a room one night and sitting there for six hours and breaking the organization down from the top down and rebuilding it from the ground up and going, this is what we absolutely need to focus on. So our focus on will be on what we do best. And that is providing um, creative content with a bit of a commercial FM flavor, you know, and continuing to have a primary target market of video games and esports fans but going after a secondary target market of the people outside of that realm who have a little bit of an interest, but have never been able to quite understand the space because nobody's been able to explain it to them in a way that's relevant to them. Mm. We can do that. That's our specialty. That's what we do best. Um, the next 12 months is continuing to add to that corporate structure. Um, it's also continuing to build on our core product, which is the the audio on demand podcast and continuing to branch out um, the, the the weekly Twitch show that we're doing as well, make that a little bit more professional. And we're not far off from going under a bit of a rebrand as well. So, you know, it's it's taken us it's taken us three years, but we finally have um, a little bit of money in the bank. We have a lot of brand equity in the marketplace in terms of clients um, and the quality of work that we've put out. And we've got a, a fairly sizable audience now. So, we're at the stage now where we're, we're turning around some of the money that we've brought in and um, we're going to reinvest that back into the brand and we're going to make it look as slick as possible and, and make a pretty big play. So besides cash flow and, and clients, is there one is there one major barrier that you wish to be alleviated for you? Is there anything that you'd like listeners to, you know, maybe pitch to help you out on? Oh, just just a little thing. Um, uh, our, our biggest barrier is the nullable. <laughs> um Mate, it, it, it is without a doubt. I I think, you know what, I, and this is something that I've said to my team, this is something that I've said to our existing clients, um, and this is something I've said behind closed doors when it's just been me and, and um, the guy who helped me found Game in Australia, um, Dan Vandermeer. Um, after a few reds, our biggest barrier is is our distance from traditionally where everything happens. You know, I have absolutely no doubt that if we were in Sydney, we, because we, I mean, we've, we've built what we've built from this side of the country. Could you imagine if we were in Sydney or in Melbourne? 
where we actually had the opportunity to pick up the phone and say to whoever it happens to be, mate, we're going to be at your head office ready with a major presentation about how we're going to make your brand explode over the next 12 months. Um, it's been it's been a really hard and tough road building this brand from this side of the country. It's been incredibly tough. There's been nights there at three o'clock in the morning where I've been banging my head against the wall thinking to myself, how are we absolutely going to make this work given the distance? But we've made it work. We've made it work. And now we have a genuine brand that's doing exciting things and we have a bit of money behind us as well. And that money hasn't come from um, shareholders or investors or anything. That money has come from good quality of work that we've done and repeat business now. So we're going to continue building on that and we're going to use that money to put it back into the brand and we're going to get in front of the faces of the people that we need to, to continue to make this happen. So look, if there is anybody listening to this on the other side of the country, on the East coast, know that one of the most exciting prospects in the gaming and esports market in terms of creative executions exists in the West and don't discount it just because we're over here. Come and knock on my door. We've got some stuff to chat about. Mm, yeah, that's something we touched on, you know, really briefly at the start of the podcast, and I did say that we would, you know, come back to. And once again, for those, you know, who don't know, Western Australia is, is what, f- three and a half, four-plus hours by plane ride away from Melbourne and Sydney, the business hubs of Australia? Yeah. Depends if you get the tailwinds or not. Yeah, exactly. So it does create that, you know, physical barrier, which is the nullable um, that, that sits between you and the others, which can also be a bit of a ping barrier and a, and a business barrier at the same time. Do you see uh, an East Coast move happening for you anytime soon? Look, not for me, but we've been putting a really important strategy in place over the past three years that has ensured that we can still run this business from this side of the country um, mm. whilst maintaining whilst maintaining personnel on the east. And the fact of the matter is, of the the fifteen odd content creators that are, you know, and team members that I mentioned before, um, three of them are in Brisbane, two of them are in Sydney, and another three of them are in Melbourne. So we've worked incredibly hard through our organizational processes to ensure that regardless of the fact that we're over here, we have boots on the ground in every other state in the country. Mm-hmm. because that's incredibly important to us. So we can get to those events. So we can get in front of the, the people that make decisions or, um, you know, need stuff that they need doing and, and stuff like that. Um, we've made sure that we've got people in, in everywhere. In fact, um, one of our board members, uh, Emily Durand, who's an absolute gun, a lot of people listening to this podcast would never have heard about her before, but I can tell you she's coming. She's an absolute gun. Um, in terms of corporate strategy, and she's a real big stickler for uh, for gaming and esports. She loves this space. She lives in Brisbane, and she's one of our board members. You know, I mean, the I think I think that's just an example of where we sort of are at, not just for us in terms of our organisation, but where we're at in terms of an industry, and just sort of business in general. To be able to make this happen and make this work um, from the other side of the country, and you know, have your weekly meetings and have your corporate strategy and all that sort of stuff with people that exist on the other side of the country is just a testament to, one, the hard work of the team to be able to make it happen, but two, the technology that's available. Mm. Because I haven't been able to get in front of the faces of the people that I want to the same way that everybody else can. Yeah. But we're putting in, we're putting in contingencies to make sure that that doesn't happen in the future. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic plan. And look, for the rest of the market, it's it used to be if you didn't live in Sydney, there wasn't any point, right? Right. And now there's so much of esports has moved down to Melbourne and it's starting to, you know, seep out into the other, you know, into the other states and, and capitals now as well. So it's only time. But, you know, I think my answer a lot of the time, and this has been a lot of our discussions behind closed doors and also with, with Bo from Ground Zero, which is a Perth-based esports team, is that, you know, localization and niching down of, of content is something that I see as a major factor coming into esports and a big trend of saying, hey, you know, if you're pitching to Razer, you're also likely pitching as an esports team against people like FaZe and Cloud9 and 100 Thieves. Yeah. How about you go and talk to your local councils, your local mechanics, your local car dealers, like we're doing with Shade and Mercedes of Brighton, and so many other people too, because they've got marketing budgets as well. And sometimes they're even bigger than Razer's global budget. So it's worth talking to your local audience as well. Mate, talk to everybody. That's that's the thing. I I think people are like to get to get Goa off the ground. It's funny, you know. Like I people sort of people. It's 
it's the it's the iceberg um, principle, isn't it? You know, people only ever see the sort of the tip of the iceberg and it looks mm. all shiny and bright and wicked and stuff like that. They don't see the amount of work um, underneath the tip of that iceberg that's gone into you know being able to get your head finally above water. Mm. Um, like it, in the in the early goings of Goa, I spoke to every single person that I that would listen to me, and even the ones that wouldn't. You know, and like, I think, I think I had a really good grounding in, you know, radio to be able to get to the level of radio that I operate in. Now you have to go through, um, getting fired. You have to go through having doors closed on you. You have to go through, um, being told no over and over and over again. And that's been a really good grounding for me Mm. in terms of building Goa, because I'm at a stage now in my life where I don't take anything personally and I don't take no for an answer. Mm. You know, and I think that's very, very important. You know, you've got to knock on every single door you possibly can, and you've got to talk to everybody you possibly can about your brand. And, you know, you make a really good point um, mentioning Bo Melia and Perth Ground Zero, and, and Bo and I are good friends, and we talk a lot. Um, this coming Saturday, the 22nd of June as well, um, in the afternoon, there's also going to be a, a big um, Perth Twitch contingent getting together at a skate portal here in Perth, which is a, a, a really good um, local land as well. And I I think one thing is, and this is a bit of a message to any sort of corporates and organisations or, you know, potential sponsors and stuff that might be listening in the East Coast or OS and stuff that haven't really taken much notice to Perth and WA, I think you need to give Perth and WA another look because there are a lot of things springing up left, right and centre and there's a big team of people coming together here in WA to make sure that Perth is heard and Perth is recognised and respected as a video games and esports hub. Mm. No, you're definitely right. I think a lot of the time people are sleeping on places like Adelaide and Perth and I think people forget that the largest land party in Australia, up to 864 people bringing their own physical PC to one location, is in Perth. RF and land. previously, the largest was in Adelaide, which was reloaded, which was 1,000 people across four basketball courts. Yep. And, you know, they're regional, you know, regional states, regional centres, whatever you would call them, that are much smaller than the powerhouses that are that are Melbourne and, and um, Sydney. But once again, it, it comes down to my theory always with esports is that the preconceived idea of esports people want to just sit in their basement, obviously not true. Um, however, you need to provide them with something to do that they can't do at home. There has to be a proper call to action. Yeah. So as long as your content is good, as long as your messaging is right, and there's something cool for people to do, they'll come out of the woodwork. And for example, like we talked about before, they'll pack out a burger love with 80 people. And when they do, look after them so they come back. Mm. 100%. All right, Pete, mate. Well, if uh, people want to follow Game on Australia and yourself to listen into your podcast, where can they do so? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, look, the, the weekly podcast happens on a Wednesday evening on Twitch, uh, on twitch.tv slash Game on Oz, which is Game on AUS, all one word. Um, and then we take that audio and that becomes our uh, weekly audio on demand component, which um, appears on a on a Friday night. But the, the weekly Twitch Show is Wednesdays at 5.30 Australian Western Standard Time, uh, 7.30 in the East, and then somewhere in between for somewhere in between. Um, And then audio, you can find us wherever you get a a good podcast. And then, of course, there's all of our social media as well. I'm sure if you just pop uh, Game on Oz into Google, you'll find us one way or another. And please, by all means, do not hesitate to come and get in touch with me. I'm always happy to have a chat with anybody, whether it be audience, fan, somebody who's never heard of esports or video games before, or, um, you know, potential clients and sponsors who want to do some pretty awesome work, uh, come and find me. Pete Corelli, last name C-U-R-U-L-L-I. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate, and again, honoured to be on your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem, mate. Thanks for coming. It's always good to hear the Radio PD PD Perth voice yet again in person. (laughs) Good on you, mate. Looking forward to catching up soon. Thanks, mate. You too. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg.